0: ask the question, if, uh, if I just asked people in the crowd, do you love God, uh, that most people would raise their hands pretty confidently and quickly. Um, in the same spirit, if I were to ask you, do you love the word of God, I think most people would raise their hands, but I don't think it'd be quite as many as with the first question. In general, um, society at large I think proclaims uh, an affinity for God. They're pretty quick to say that, but they're far less enthusiastic about their feelings about the Bible. The problem is that God certainly links those two things together, a love for him and a love for his word, because his word contains the commands that he's asking us to obey. So if we don't know the commands, it's kind of hard to obey them, really kind of impossible, okay? And here's what some recent studies and statistics involving people in the U.S. who would call themselves practicing Christians reveals um, that we've got some red flags out there, okay? One study I read reported that only half of the people who identified themselves as practicing Christians read their Bibles more than once a week outside of a church service, once a week. It makes me wonder how they're defining what a practicing Christian is. We're talking about practice, not even talking about a game. We're talking about practice, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Alan Iverson, circa 1995 or so. I don't know how long ago it was. Practice, okay? That same study <clears throat> reported that only one in five practicing Christians reflected on Scripture daily. Okay, about 20% of people who would call themselves that. So it seems like there's this pretty big disconnect between people say that they believe in God and then being regularly engaged in God's word in a way that would lead to life change. Okay, so let me ask you this. What's wrong with this sentence? If you love me, know my commands. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Okay, yeah, So You can look at the screen, right? He doesn't say, if you love me, know my commands. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, okay? And keep implies action, right? More so than no does, right? So there's action involved. So then how does that impact the way that we approach the study of God's word? That's where we're going to dive in today. I love this quote by theologian D.L. Moody. He said, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. So is that our expectation when we sit down and and we read the Bible, however often you do that? Do we believe that God is working as we encounter his word? Hebrews 4.12 is one of the most powerful verses about scripture. It says this, for the word of God is alive and active Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So what does that mean to you? That the, the word of God is alive and active? What does that mean to you? Those of you that are new, this is question and answer time. I say something, you say something back. It's a conversation, okay? When you see that, the Word of God is alive and active. What does that do to you? What does that make you think of? How does that change your perspective or posture? Yeah. Yeah. Inside of us too. So. Yeah. It, it's applicable to today, to right now. It's not just something that was written a couple thousand years ago, like a history book. It actually has has meaning for our lives right now. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. Read. Yeah, so God is, is actively using it through his Holy Spirit, right? He's, he's looking for ways that, that this can become real in my life right now, okay? Those are great answers What's that. That's good. You guys are on, okay? So as we search God's Word, God's Word is also searching us, okay? It's, it's a conversation. It's a two-way street here. Okay, it's not just us going to learn more about God. God, as we encounter his word, is also revealing things about us back to us, okay, if we allow it to. Jesus makes it very clear on several occasions that there's a big difference between just being familiar with the scriptures and then allowing yourself to be transformed by them. Okay, those are two different things. At one point in Matthew, Jesus is having a conversation with a group of Jewish leaders, men who would have been well-versed in Old Testament scriptures, and he says this to them in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. 29. He says, Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Hmm. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Jesus is making a correlation between not only being familiar with the commands of God so that we can obey them, but that we also have to be familiar with the power of God. Okay? So not just familiar with the text, but also familiar with the power. Why? What's the point he's trying to make there, you think? Yes. Yes. Kenny that there's, power in scripture. that there's power in scripture okay good what else yes sir the power of God. okay so he gives us the scripture so that we can know him and by knowing him that there's power in that yes any other thoughts yeah Jamie Yeah, there's different levels of knowing, right? The more acquainted we are with God's power, the more we know the word. So let me, this is hilarious because I, I, I don't know anything about cars, okay? I'm, gonna, I'm about to use a car analogy. So brace yourselves, okay? If you had a, back in the day, we called it a muscle car, right? So a car that could go fast, okay? Now, if you get into this car, and you don't really know how fast it can go. But you get out one day and you're like, man, I'm gonna go 100. And for you, it's like, man, 100 seems crazy, right? You're flying down the highway going 100 miles an hour. I've never gotten a car up to 100. I'm just, true confessions right here, okay? So I'm assuming that feels pretty fast. But then you're, you're riding, you pick up your friend and you're bragging, he's like, man, this, I just got this car up to 100. And your friend's like, dude, this car can go 200. And you're like, what? Right? Like, you thought you were really going, and then somebody comes along who tells you that you can go twice as fast as you've gone. And and the gist of the story is, it's like you don't understand the power of the car you're in. In the same way, we might think, man, I'm really living out God's word. And then you get to know somebody else. And you look at the way that they're living, the, the trust they put in God's word, the faith they have in God, and the power that goes along with their life, and you're just like, oh man, I'm driving a 100 in a 200 mile an hour car. Right? There's, there's this different level of power that we begin to become acquainted with. And sometimes this is kind of a progressive thing over the course of our lives. Right? How we applied the word when we were 15 or 20 or whatever with our understanding of who God was and the power of the Holy Spirit in us and how we might apply and live that out when we're 30, 40, 60 might be completely different things. And there's an equation between those two things. Thus ends my automobile analogy. Okay. But being transformed is hard work. Depending on how old you are, and how entrenched you might be in your thought patterns, your ways of living and acting that are probably broken at some level. There are walls of dysfunction in all of us that are hard. It takes a lot of power to destroy that only God can do so that new pathways that would lead to healthy, vibrant, trusting faith can be built. Our ability to obey is directly tied to our understanding and reliance on the power of God in us. I want you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 5. It's page 15, 17 in your pew Bibles. Jesus is again having another interaction with some religious leaders, we're going to look at verse 39 of chapter 5. Verse 39 says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So what's Jesus saying here? He's making another correlation to what leads to transformation. It's not enough to just read the scriptures alone, but he's saying that there's a relationship with the author and fulfiller of those scriptures that has to be nurtured. You see, the Jews prided themselves on on their knowledge of the word. I mean, young people would would memorize, you know, the first five books of the Bible called the Torah to them, they would memorize the whole thing. They were well-versed in Scripture. But in the midst of it, they were missing Jesus, this Messiah that they'd been waiting for for thousands of years. They were too proud to admit that they needed him and that this poor wandering Nazarene who was standing right in front of them was the one that could lead them and give them true life. How many times do we do something similar to those Jewish leaders? We spend time, maybe even pretty diligently, reading God's Word, but we give very little or no attention to either the power of God in our life or a connection to Jesus. Like I said last week, if our scriptural knowledge isn't making us more like Jesus, then we don't really know what we're reading. So I want you to contrast what Jesus said about those religious leaders to how Paul describes the young Christ followers in Thessalonica. Look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So Paul was seeing evidence. He's like, I see, I see God's word at work in you. It's transforming you as you interact with Scripture. Now, as I was studying this past week, I came across um, a study that was done at a church in suburban Chicago, a lot of you probably heard of, called Willow Creek community church. At the time that this study was done in 2005, there were over 15,000 people that were members there, and they wanted to dig in to the spiritual habits of their attenders. Okay, so they did this massive study trying to discern what spiritual practices were yielding the greatest transformation in their members. And here's part of what they found. The greatest correlation between spiritual disciplines and life change wasn't found with prayer journaling serving tithing sharing your faith or being in community with other believers not that any of those things are bad we need all of those things but here's what they found these were all positive factors but none of them matched the importance of reflection on scripture which had more than twice the impact Of any other factor. If churches can only do one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible, specifically to reflect on Scripture for meaning in their lives. Now that's interesting, (laughs) but it's also really sad because we just looked at a bunch of statistics that showed us that practicing Christians really aren't spending that much time in the thing that probably has the greatest potential impact on their lives. While many Christians are committed to coming to church, tithing, serving, being in their small group, very few are consistently engaging in God's word, the very thing that has the most redemptive potential for their lives. So, can we just have an honest conversation here for a moment? Why don't we spend time regularly in God's Word? Just be honest. Yes. We put our lives before His. Okay, we put our own lives, like our the responsibilities, our schedules. Yes. Matt, did you have something? Yeah the bible is intimidating the bible is intimidating okay especially to a new believer what's that especially to a new believer okay especially to a new believer good other reasons yeah Rachel <laughs> you guys can fight each other for who gets to talk here <laughs> um, it's scary because god might tell you something that you need to be doing yes that you don't do. right she said it's scary cuz god might tell you to do something you don't want to do That's great. Yeah, Will. For me personally, uh, just because of basic ways that I've heard other people preach the gospel uh, that maybe wasn't very good. Um, A lot of times um, when I read the scripture, I read negative stuff about it, so I feel condemned. Mm. Um, You know, Mm. a lot of the fire and hell and brimstone preaching out there have affected me over the years. Yeah. Okay. I focus on stuff. Yeah, that's really good, man. So what he's saying is that in, in some different settings, maybe that some of us grew up in church-wise, um, where there was an emphasis a lot on just judgment or even an emphasis on um, just duty and having to do the right thing. And if you do those things and God was happy with you, and like that lens of that perspective or that voice, that picture of who is this God who's speaking to me, isn't very inviting, which makes me not want to spend time with him and have him speak to me because I hear it as condemnation instead of invitation, right? Yeah, that's good. Can we all at least agree on this? That a big part of loving Jesus is loving the Bible that tells his story. If we are to keep the commands of God, right? Don't we first have to know them? And if keeping the commands really boils down, last week we talked about, I felt this was really refreshing. The Holy Spirit really spoke this to me as I was preparing last week's sermon, is that keeping God's commands is really just being like Jesus. Like if you just boil it down to that, instead of this long list of things that you think I've got to obey all these things, if your emphasis was just, I just need to be like Jesus. And if I'm like Jesus, then I'm going to obey all the commands. Does that make sense? If keeping the commands really boils down to being like Jesus, wouldn't it make sense that we need to be familiar with how Jesus thought, spoke, and acted? His way of doing life? And once we acknowledge that being in God's word is critical to our transformation, which leads to obedience, then we can turn our attention to how we engage the scriptures. So we don't end up like the Pharisees who said they knew God's word, but oftentimes missed his heart. Okay? So we're going to shift here now, and we're going to take a look at some postures that I think will help us as we actually go to the word. Okay? The first thing I think is really critical as we sit down with the words, people share, it can be kind of intimidating Right? There's sometimes a lot of cultural stuff in here, um, and we're not really sure what we're getting ourselves into. I would just invite you to do this. First of all, is just prepare your heart. Take some time. Just say a couple prayers. I usually kind of just pray and just say, Holy Spirit, (laughs) reveal yourself to me. Like, open my eyes. Help me to understand. Right? God wants to be known. So, He's not giving you like this. Code book that we've got to figure out how to break. Like he wants us to get this, okay? So we pray and we invite him to come. God, speak to me. A couple of great little prayers from Scripture that I think are just great things we can just say from a couple of verses. Exodus thirty-three eighteen, where Moses says, "Please show me your glory." All right? He just prayed that to God. Show me your glory. Psalm one nineteen is really a prayer. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Okay, so if you need some little scriptures just to say, just to pray as you engage with scripture, I think that would help. I think it's important for us to remember that what we're reading is holy. Okay, on the side of the Bible, it says holy Bible. And we're also engaging a holy God. And so there ought to be a little bit of a sense of reverence in us as we approach the scripture. What we're reading is holy. These are God's words to us, and we're engaging with a holy God that wants to connect with us. So prepare your hearts. Secondly is this idea of just soaking in the word. So not reading just to check it off the box and say you did it, but to really soak in it. What words or phrases or images are connecting with your heart as you read? Is there something that just sticks out to you for whatever reason in your heart that day? What's resonating with your current experience or causing emotion in you? Can you pay attention to the emotions you might be feeling as you read? Take some time to linger there and ask God, what do you you have for me in those words or those images that kind of stuck out? You might read a chapter, but was there a word or a phrase or a feeling or or a character who was interacting with Jesus maybe in a scene who you're like, man... I really connect with that character, their lack of faith, their awe of God, their whatever it might be. God, why, why is that standing out to me today? It's a, it's a posture of curiosity, right? God, what are you doing? What do you want me to know? What are you seeing in me? And you're trying to say something to me in the midst of my life right now with this story, with this word. Maybe take some time to journal about it, if that's helpful. Write some things down. One thing I do know is that we can't do that when we're rushing through it, right? Rushing and lingering don't go together, okay? So there's gotta be some space, some time. Thirdly, remember that we're reading to respond, okay? Like I said, this is a a two-way conversation, okay? So God is speaking to us through his word and he's expecting a reply he doesn't want us just to read oh yeah that was nice go about my day he's like and what did you think about that (laughs) right he wants to know he wants to hear our voice turn your bibles over to james chapter one we're going to spend just a few minutes here it's page 1722 James chapter 1. It's probably a passage you've heard before. Starting in verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And then, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So basically, it's saying kind of the, the proof is in the pudding here. Are we actually doing what the word says? And then he uses this analogy of somebody that would look at themselves in the mirror. And they'll say, I looked at myself in the mirror, and then I walked over, and Justin put up four pictures of different people. And one of them was me, but I couldn't pick myself out of the lineup. Like, that would be ridiculous, right? I've looked at myself in the mirror way too many times over the course of my life, right? I should know what I look like. Sometimes we come to the Word of God and, and we, we say that we've read it and that we're understanding it, but we, we walk away from it and it's like, I don't even know what I just read. And we don't even really take the time <laughs> to inquire, to ask of God, to ask of a friend, hey, I read this, I really didn't understand it. Can you help me understand it so I can maybe do it, <laughs> what it's asking me to do? And to keep us from doing those things, there's some really key points in verse 25, I want you to look at. James says this, he says to look intently. Okay, intent, this, this was written in Greek, okay? So intent in Greek means this, to stoop down or to peer in. Okay, so there's even just this posture change. I, I always think of like a little kid, like if I'm stooping down to talk to a kid, I'm getting down to their level. Like there's this posture engagement with me. If I'm peering in, I'm pulling back the curtain and really looking inside. It's not a casual glance. It's looking intently. That's different. Next, James says that we're to continue in it. What that means is we're to see it through to action. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus hits on this point. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay? Those Seinfeld fans, it's in the holding, the reservation, that's so important. Okay? Anybody can take a reservation. It's the holding. Are you with me? If you haven't watched it, please do. (laughs) You're missing all my jokes this morning. Okay? It's not in the reading of the teaching. (laughs) It's in the holding of it. Only when we put the truth we are reading into practice through the power of God in our life will we really experience the truth that sets us free. The perfect law that gives freedom. Right? That God gives us his word so that we will be free from the things that we used to be in bondage to. Next, James says this not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. Not forgetting. Those of you that know me very well or get the pleasure of spending time with me will know that I'm a question asker. (laughs) I want to know stuff about you, especially spiritual things. And so I'll ask people sometimes when I'm having lunch, or I'll ask my staff, like, hey, what are you reading? In God's word, how's he speaking to you? This book that we're reading, like what are you getting out of it? Right? I, I don't want people just to be going through the motions with things. I want them to to be taking it, soaking it in, having it t- transform them. Most of the time after church with my family around the lunch table, at some point it gets around to, so what'd you get out of the sermon today? <laughs> right? Because I want it to, to sink in. To make a change in them and one of the best ways to not forget is to share what you've been reading or learning with other people that you've you've heard it you've processed it and now you're spitting it back out in some way that means something to you okay you've reflected on it it's a dynamic process okay to put into words how God is speaking to you that he may be calling you to do something in response is a great strategy to not forgetting. It's dynamic. (laughs) So you guys know that I coach cross-country and track, so there are certain things that we do every day at practice, like stretches, exercises, to prepare us to run. And sometimes I'll, I'll call on an unsuspecting kid And I'll I'll say, hey, could you please tell the team why we're doing the exercise that we're doing right now? Okay? So for instance, Aaron Kearns is here this morning. So Aaron, why do we do... (laughs) Don't don't get excited, Lydia, because if he doesn't know, I'm coming to you next, okay? Why do we do single leg balance exercises, Aaron? To balance, judges, no, just kidding. That's part of it, yes. To be balanced, yes. We don't wanna have one leg that's stronger than the other, right? Now you're on the right track, good. Lydia, anything else that he's missing? No, that's it? That's all you got, huh? Man, all my other runners are hiding. Oh, George, yes your brother ratted you out. Anything else? Single leg balance exercises. why we do them, George. I have nothing to add. No, I'm sure you do. You just need help. Because running is a... Exercise. Yes. <laughs> How many, yes, Sam? It's a one-legged sport. It's a one-legged sport. The alumni, he gets it. Yes, right? When you run, you're always only on one leg. Right, You never are on two legs, so the fact that you have one leg, that your legs are balanced and strong and equal to one another, that you can stand here like this and have strength to hold that position is important. That's why we do it every day. Now, a lot of you guys have been athletes, you've been a part of things, or even if you've been whatever, in band, choir, anything, if you understand the why behind what you're doing, you're a lot more apt to uh, put some feeling into it right if you don't really understand why we're doing this then you're just going through the motions right because you're not making a connection to by doing this it will yield this so if i can convince the kids that if you do these exercises it's going to make you a better runner you're not going to get injured as much whatever and they have any ounce of care in them then they'll do it right and they'll understand i even have kids who've gone on to run in college that will continue to do the exercises we did in high school because their team doesn't do that, and then they teach the other kids why we did it, and then everybody else starts doing it too, okay? Then I feel really good about myself. (laughs) So, finally, being consistent is the key in terms of being in God's word, right? Being consistent is just true with anything in life. If you're gonna see any kind of change in any area of your life, you have to be consistent. It can't be something that you just do once in a while, okay? And I think with with God's word, because the truth is, is that, okay, so on the days that we don't engage with God's word, we are being bombarded by another gospel, and that is the gospel of the enemy, the world, lies, okay? I'm not getting political here. I'm just talking about a different way of operating that the world lives in. They have a a different um, spectrum of what is important that is oftentimes in opposition and contrary to what God's word tells us leads to life. And so when you're not here reminding yourself of what is really true and what's going to lead you to thriving, you are taking in the messages from your enemy. (coughs) And so the only way to keep pace (laughs) is to make sure that you're here every day or close to it, right? Reminding yourself. And, and, and guys, that it's not only just, just in reading the Bible. I mean, that's, that's, I, would, I would recommend that. <laughs> but even when we're reading, uh, I mean, singing songs that have to do with Scripture, that can be a way. Being in conversation with other friends about spiritual things, that's another way to just ground ourselves in what's true, okay? As I was reviewing all of this this week, a thought came to mind for me. What would be the collective power of a church community deeply engaged in regular scripture reading for the purpose of being transformed? What would be the collective power if all of us got into the word of God regularly with the purpose of being transformed and we were helping one another do that, we were inviting each other to help us do that, What would be the collective power of that? I would guarantee you that what it would lead to would be just the aroma of Christ emanating out from us, oozing out of us. Okay, people would walk by Wellspring on Sunday morning and go, what's going on in there? Smells like Jesus. (laughs) Spiritual fruit would abound as christ-like qualities were on display and guys it would be attractive people would be drawn to the life and freedom they were seeing in us as opposed to a lot of times the way the world is kind of repelled by people who claim to be following jesus but are not transformed by his word Honestly, part of the reason, and, and uh, Rachel actually got at it earlier, part of the reason we neglect our Bible reading, this is the last thing I'm going to say, or simply read for information just to check the boxes that we've done it, is because if we really spent time meditating, if we really lingered and we really asked the Holy Spirit to speak and reveal things to us, He would. He would. And we would see some things in our life that that we might not want to see, things that would need to change, attitudes and behaviors that are ugly and don't reflect Jesus. And so to a lot of people, it's just easier, it seems easier just to kind of stay on the surface, either to not read the Word or to read it more just to say that we did it, as opposed to seeing it as this two-way conversation for transformation. Filling our heads with knowledge, but not putting the information into action. Because doing that requires faith, it requires humility, it requires vulnerability. But guys, here's the thing. The the facade, the fraudulent way of approaching engaging scripture will not set you free. There's no power in that. Only the truth will set you free. God's not looking for what we supposedly know. He's looking for how we're changing, how we're becoming more like his son, right? Paul said, Paul said it best in Galatians 6.15 when, when there was a lot of discussion about what, what kind of things identify who's a good Christian or good Christ follower or not, and people were throwing out all kinds of different things. Paul bolded it down to this. He said, listen, what's, what counts is the new creation. That's it. That's all that counts. None of the outward things mean anything. What counts is the new creation. Are you changing? Are you living into your true identity? So let's encourage one another to read to be transformed and then see how that helps us love God more by by being obedient to his commands. Okay, and and what I mean by that is like when when we lead Bible studies at Wellspring or we lead small groups, the purpose of all those things is transformation. A part of it is developing community, getting to know one another, having people feel like they belong somewhere, being encouraged, being prayed for, all those things are byproducts of getting together. But they are not the purpose of getting together. The purpose of getting together in spiritual community is to be changed into the image of Jesus. If we're not doing that, then we could just be just like any other group of people in town getting together for a rotary meeting or whatever else that's not about God, okay? So let's keep transformation at the center, and let's put into practice some of the things. You know, make for yourself some goals this week, right? Take one thing this week. Okay, today, every day, I'm just going to start my reading time by just praying and just slowing down and saying, God, Holy Spirit, speak to me as I enter into this. You don't have to take all five points or whatever I gave you today and try to apply them all. Just pick one, maybe that you haven't done or haven't done very well. And, and, and then do this also. Invite a friend into this with you. Invite somebody that can be accountable with you. Hey, let's do this together, right? Me and my friend Tony are reading through the Bible in a year, and we check in with each other once in a while. How are we doing in that as we're talking about, you know, this clan took this land, and whew, there's some rough days in there, right? But, hey, we're committed to it because we want to be different. We want to change. We want to be more like Jesus than we are now. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. God, for 2,000 years, um, your scripture has just been ringing out into this world. It's been making a difference. It's been transforming human hearts. That's why it's alive and active. That's why we, we take a look at events like the cross and the resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago, and they're still so powerful for today, for our current situation. We need you. As we come to your communion table today, God, and we, we look again at your body and your blood, I pray that just like your word, that this, this ritual of communion would be alive and active in us. This is not a static event that we're getting ready to participate in. It's dynamic. It requires a response from us. Uh, a confession, uh, a humility, an admission of our need. So I pray that there would be interaction here, that we would practice transformation even in this communion time today. So speak to our hearts as we just kind of give you some space to speak to us.